0: That could get things started here on Jacksonshire Sports Radio. I'm truly blessed to be joined by an outstanding broadcaster of the Baltimore Orioles, Brett Hollander. Brett is an outstanding broadcaster with the Orioles. And Brett, you were on you know radio stations in college at Towson University uh, with WBAL Radio uh, for listeners, giving them a play-by-play. You also anchored with WBAL Sports from 2011 through 2018. And additionally, Brett, you were a WBAL radio talk show host from 2010 to th- 2020, hosting shows such as Sportsline and Brett Hollander Show. Um, and then, Brett, you then broadcasted for the Loyola University of Maryland men's lacrosse team on the Patriot League network. And now you're ended up with the Baltimore Orioles on Madison and pregame and postgame shows, um, along with play by play on the radio Orioles radio network. So, for those of you that don't know, Masson stands for the Mid-Atlantic Sports uh, Network and is where you can find the Orioles and the Washington Nationals. So, Brett, I want to open the floor up to you. Welcome to Jackson Share Sports Radio. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Jackson. Yeah,
1: it's, uh, it's been a great ride. I've, I've been very fortunate in my career, and and it's been um, really fun to do what I love and do it in my hometown.
0: Of course, man. Thanks for joining me again. Um, so, getting right into things. um enough of me, Brett, I want to talk about you. You have a very impressive background. Take me through the journey that you've had to get to the Baltimore Orioles. All the jobs that you've had, I know I mentioned a lot of them, but I mean, you've been through a lot to get to where you are today. Yeah, uh, maybe some good fortune in there
1: as well. And you know, everyone asks me, and a lot of young people who want to get into this industry always want to know, like, what's the proper step? Should I go this route or this route? And the reality is there isn't a perfect linear pathway to wherever you want to go. Um, I was fortunate, I knew very young what I wanted to do for a living. And I knew I wanted uh, to talk for a living. I very specifically, at a very young age, wanted to do play by play and I wanted to call Orioles games. So um, I'm, I'm living that out. My, my path, I went to Dickinson College in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and a lot of you know, friends and colleagues in the, industry, in the industry will go to Syracuse or a school with a great communication background or journalism or something like that. Dickinson didn't have that, but what it had was opportunity. And in my four years there, I got to call a lot of games, pretty much as many as I wanted to across a variety of sports. So you got a lot of experience in that route. Also, um, that combined with an internship, I had a WBAO when I was 15 and 16, which, you know, allowed me to see a part of the industry, make a lot of, of, of good relationships, stay in touch with those relationships. And I always say this it's really sad to me that those kinds of things, those internships done with handshakes are very rare nowadays, it wasn't be credit. And for a lot of reasons, media companies teams, they really want to know at all times who's in and out of the building it was much more casual back in those days. I mean, I was in Orioles' locker room, uh, getting post game sound for an internship when I was like 18 years old. Oh my that God, never happened. So I had these incredible experiences very young. Um, I also, my oh, internship, I think I made a very wise choice going to Dickinson, but when I was in high school, I started our, essentially our sports broadcasting program. This is early 2000s. Now everyone has one. Many of these schools have added video to it We put games on the internet and in those days. High schools just weren't doing that. Colleges weren't really doing that at that point. We were really ahead of it. I had an incredibly bright class we made who deserved almost all the credit. Scott Kidder, he did not like sports, did not care about it, but he knew that world incredibly well, and he was able to figure it out. We begged the school to give us permission to do this. It took off. Uh, many articles were written about it. It certainly helped get me to college, and it certainly one of those achievements that you carry with you the rest of your life because you could say that we were the first we did this and then i always thought i'd be good at broadcasting i always knew i could be good at broadcasting but until you go out there next you do and don't know right so getting that experience at 16 17 18 you know i've been doing this that long so um and and, and i of my career to different things so then you, know, you go to college and afterwards you have to be prepared in this business to go anywhere and, and do anything and I was applying for jobs all over the country, just looking to break in. I didn't care if I was a radio DJ, traffic reporter, anything. I even got my first professional job in broadcasting. And my first professional job in broadcasting, I'm very lucky, was in downtown Baltimore for a company that doesn't really exist anymore. It's morphed into a few things. It was called Metro Networks back then. And basically a lot of local traffic and weather news you hear on the radio and television came from Metro Networks and they did it for me. All the biggest small radio stations, for the most part, with a few exceptions, in the Baltimore metropolitan, even D.C. area, or all over the country. So my first job in radio, professionally speaking, so I would interned several times and done other projects and things, was doing beach track, uh, coming home, which is a big thing in, in the summertime in the state of Maryland, getting back and forth on the beach. Uh, now I'm not sure if these things would even happen now with Waze and, and uh, yeah. all those apps, but my first job in radio was doing beef traffic on a Sunday afternoon for a lot of small stations in the state of Maryland. And that was it. And Once I did that, I said that box to check. And out of that, it was kind of a. It's been a race since. I mean, I, I went from there to doing sports updates at CBS radio, uh, which was 1300 AM and eventually 105.7 The Fan. And they launched the sports station on 105.7. When I was there, I was the first voice, giving the first update on 105.7. Uh, when they switched it over, I got my first professional contract there. I did updates. I had a weekend show I filled in during the week, and it was really a fun and exciting time because you really had to figure out if you were meant to do this, and you had to figure out if, if this is uh, what you're capable of because it was sink or swim at that point. You're doing updates. You're on your own, and, and I, I feel like we took off, and I was very fortunate after that. I got a call from BAL where I interned, where I met so many great relationships and a uh, special place at 300 Uber Avenue, and, and, and actually your uncle, Greg, uh, hosted a show and has this illustrious list of great hosts, um, on the show sports is, you know, at the time, like the longest range sports talk show in America or one of them, certainly, uh, hard to calculate exactly. And, and they all offered me that job and, uh, just, I've been very fortunate.
0: That's incredible. A great story. I mean, I guess it goes to show, you don't have to go to Syracuse or those main colleges to be successful in this world. I mean, you went to Dickinson college, you know, obviously great school, but under the radar, you know, a lot of people don't really would want to go there. They probably want to go to Syracuse, but I mean, your story, you've been through a lot and you're like you said, doing traffic stuff on like, you know, weekends and broadcasting in those types of ways. There's obviously different ways to get into broadcasting and you're very, you have a unique way. So I really applaud that. Yeah, I mean- Right. I have
1: mean, my colleagues who, most of my colleagues in baseball grinded out many tough minor league seasons. I never had to do that. Um, right. And not that that's better or worse. They had a totally different experience. And I applied for jobs in the minor leagues. Um, you know, it's really hard to get seen out of that world because everyone there, I mean, 90% of the broadcasters down there are really good. good. And it's really hard to get out of there, you know. Do major division one sports or major, I mean there aren't that many jobs. There are right. Um, so it's I, I never did that, but I did a lot of other things. You mentioned I called a lot of lacrosse. I called you know division one basketball. Um, I got a, I got to you know putting together a three hour radio show every day in a, in a local market. Um, that's intense, and that gets wow. you ready for everything. Mm. And I always feel like I was wired a certain way, perfect for the talk show world. And I love my time doing it, and I'm really proud of the shows we did at WBAL for 10 years. Um, And then, obviously, what we did covered the Orioles and Ravens and other local sports and things in town. Uh, I'm very proud of that. But, um, you know, to me, if you can do a talk show, you can do anything, broadcast.
0: I love that. I I really do. And it shows also your, your journey, how much the world has changed over the time of, you know, getting an internship. I was in an internship i mean you can't even get into the locker rooms i was going for like a tour around Oriole park can't even get into the locker rooms you got in as an 18 year old it just shows the, I can, like, the change
1: I use everything i was lucky about the internships it really makes me sad um that those really don't exist anymore now the other thing that makes me sad and i really worry about the future of my, oh, an industry i care a lot about local radio and television there are in sports casting more jobs than ever I think we're in a place now where there are less good jobs than ever
0: and right.
1: that concerns me and then forever there's been kind of small market radio and tv and there's still small market television but small market radio is going away and that's a terrible thing because first of all I, I would argue that people in those small markets miss out if they don't have a local DJ, if they don't have a uh, local talk show, local news, I and mean, that's bad for them. But it's also where medium sized and big markets go get talent, but you need experience. And it's really hard to start a WBAL in your early twenties with no experience, but that's kind of where it's going right now. And that is a huge concern and it's not fair to that person um, to have to, you know, occupy space and go in the air to big market and a big station when you don't have that time to grow and develop and mature as a broadcaster. So you know, I was lucky. I did start in Baltimore. I started though, uh, in traffic and then I did news and then I did updates. So it wasn't like I was nose to a three hour talk show on WBIL. I, you know, I did it in my mid twenties. I was lucky. And perhaps I was talented enough to do it as well. But what concerns me is the, the, what we would consider to be small and medium sized local radio and and perhaps one day television is going away. And, and that to me is a huge loss of job for industry. And it's a huge loss uh, as we try to develop the next generation of broadcasters.
0: Right. I totally agree with you. Those small talk shows, small radios are going away. Um, So, you know, moving towards your side of the job uh, as a broadcaster with the Orioles today, take me through a daily routine that would happen, you know, on a game day, let's say, you know, you have to arrive at the ballpark at so whatever time.
1: Yeah, for a seven o'clock game, I get there on 2:15, two, 2:30. Two uh clubhouse usually opens at 3.10. The manager talks 4. That's kind of the routine. If the Orioles are home, if they're home or away, it's different routine. And if um and if I'm doing radio or TV, I have a different routine. If I'm doing radio, my I usually prep ahead of the series and then I'll do what I call daily prep which is usually a couple hours during the day and then I'll put it away for a while and then go to the ballpark uh tv when I do the pre and post show I'll talk to my producer in the morning we'll follow up in the middle of the day and we'll kind of do put together a rundown of what we want to do sometimes those get planned days in advance if we're doing something special We know there's something going on like we set up an interview or there's a feature we need to run, or, but usually it's dictated by what happened the game before, who's playing tonight, and um, and the news of the day, like if the Orioles call up a prospect, obviously that's going to dictate what we're doing that day. With um, the team being good and in the race, that kind of drives the show of your day right now on television. Right. You know where the Orioles are in the standings, who they're playing, the urgency of the game, that kind of takes care of itself as opposed to last few years come late august you know we are we have to get creative we have to get creative to make it interesting entertaining uh and we hope our fans no matter what don't lose interest even though we know the team is struggling it's less about that game winning losing and more about you know probably more of a long-term thing or something interesting going on with the team or a certain player and then with radio you know i i try and look every day uh for something interesting compelling um to kind of throw in there I don't get scared about dead air because my days of hosting a talk show, it kind of uh, takes care of itself. Um, I, I know I'll never run out of things to say and talk about, but uh, I try to keep our radio broadcast uh, loose and fun. My sense is, if it's baseball, for one. People are going to you to escape, to get away from whatever their day is. Yeah. They want, they care about the two two pitch. they want the works to win. So you carry that with you i love talking baseball strategy i love all that but to me it's very important to bring an element of looseness to the game because at the end of the day it's baseball it's supposed to be fun and if you're not having fun i think the audience knows that and picks up on that very quickly
0: right and you need to whatever your body language is you know obviously they'll see that um so, right. yeah 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 so um In terms of the Orioles, you talked about the standings. What are your thoughts right now? I mean, they're hot right now. They look great. And they're just a couple games back from the Blue Jays, a couple games back from the Mariners. They're they're inching closer, but, you know, the Blue Jays and the Mariners keep winning. Mariners lost last night. But um, what are your thoughts on that? Really young team, great talent. Um, They look good.
1: Yeah, it's been really a fun season. And I think, to me, in my history, I know fans – Some fans, there's always a portion of fans who see any given season as championship or bust. I don't really see sports that way. Obviously, I'd like to see in my lifetime, the Orioles win a World Series and, uh, you know, that's something where you want eventually to consummate that and and to have a fourth championship. It's been a while, Uh, but it's not all about that. And what this season has done is it's ignited the fan base, which was really important. And this team is so much fun to watch. Oh, yeah. Their energy, their chemistry, it's palpable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And to me, in my history, the teams that surprise you, like the 1989 Orioles, and ask your uncle about them, or or the 2012 Orioles, or this team, they are the most fun teams because there's an underdog component to it. You didn't expect these games to matter in August, and they do. And you are kind of just along for the ride as a fan. And at this point, anything I see it, anything at, at this point is great. I mean, they've already surpassed any reasonable expectation. Now, they're there, they love to make the playoffs, home playoff games are so great. All of those things matter a great deal. But to me, this team's getting great experience playing together in these important games, great experiences as this club moves forward. But to me, this is not the middle of something or the end of something. This is the very beginning of what will be a sustained run by this team and this organization uh, of contention. So uh, to me, that's the most exciting part. But I just love teams that shock you, and teams that surprise you, and teams that are done a 180 from the year before and, and for several years in the case of the Orioles, So uh, to me, I'm just really enjoying this. And there's a lot of young players. The group is special. Um, so I, I just think it's
0: been a lot of fun. Definitely. I think Vegas is over under. I was, when I was working with them this summer, um, in August, uh, early August, I was, I was talking to everyone They're over under Vegas is over under was 60 and a half games to win for the Orioles. And they're, they're already way past they're past that already, which is unbelievable. I mean, it's, it's been an incredible season and the O's have really, uh, sparks life into this fan base.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, it's been really fun to see the crowds come back and beyond that, just the talk of the town. I mean, it's palpable. Everywhere I go, people will talk about the team. I would say it's by far the biggest story in town this summer, and people are just very uh, interested in it day-to-day. Orioles, Twitter is on fire. Now, that's the way I measure it, but it's just people care a lot. And it's nice to know that people care about what you do, because it's been hard these last few years. Not only is it team struggle, but COVID, so to have a season like this right now came at a great time.
0: Unbelievable time. Um, great timing. It's all about timing. Um, Brett, so tell me about uh, your favorite moment as a broadcaster this season, as you know, broadcasting for the Orioles. Uh, there have been some great times. Do you have one in mind, particular moment?
1: Um, I thought there were some wild games this year. A lot of dramatic oh. games, a lot of wild games. The 15 10 win they had over Boston. Oh the last Friday, it was right up there. Oh, my God. I think I caught three or four home runs. And uh, that was really just a wild night. Big crowd. Amazing energy. Important game. That, to me, felt like it was a really special night. There were so many games that they got looked around our broadcast. We said, they're going to win this game. There's nothing they can't do. Um, and there have been so many times like that. You know, they had a 10-game winning streak. And I could call back-to-back walk-offs Jorge Mateo was hit by a pitch on the fourth of July. That was a walk off, I call it. And then the next day I think Cedric Mullins had a base sit to left field and that was a walk-off. And you know, those are obviously the ones you remember and take with you and oh yeah. And, and you know that that was really the start of a really special stretch.
0: Always. I mean the the O's they've been like this the entire time. They've just been going getting better and better their win streaks um and they've just got a lot of young chemistry you know rushman every single time the pitcher uh whoever's pitching finishes the inning rushman goes up to him at the at the on the mound and you know congratulates him. great inning you know let's work on this so lots of team chemistry um so what was the best orioles game that you called like in your entire entirety of calling games
1: honestly i think the 15-10 one was right up there home game big crowd um
0: The back and forth nature of it, the Orioles had 11 extra base hits, five home runs. That was right up there. Um,
1: I mentioned the two walk-offs earlier in the year. One of them, the Mullen's one, was just a crazy game, much like the 15-10 game. And then, you know, riding that 10-game winning streak in there, I was doing pre-post, and the Orioles beat the Angels, and they got to their closer, probably some glaciers, and Mancini hit a walk-off, and I we came back on TV to tease the post-game show, and I took my script, and I just ripped it up because the whole show, the Orioles were down two runs in the ninth, and there were two outs and two strikes, ended up winning the game, and they were down the last strike for, like, four straight hitters, and it, it, just that that was a part of this uh, incredible run and drama that this team's already started to believe this was really possible this year.
0: I mean, they just come alive. I don't, I don't even know. They can... They can be zero hits, zero runs in the first seven innings and eighth, ninth innings. You know they just come alive somehow, some way. This team gets it done no matter what yeah, this year.
1: It's, it's really been something.
0: It really has been. So I know Palmer's also a broadcaster. Have you ever had an experience or an encounter with him broadcasting as well? Or oh yeah, I mean
1: he and I work together. Uh, I interview him. We'll interview him. Comes on our pre-post game show every game. And he works on television, so we, we talk a lot, um, you know, it's special because uh, no one knows more about the game than Jim and, and no one knows more about Orioles' history than Jim. So uh, to me, you know obviously very special with, uh, you know, his Hall of
0: Fame status and, you know, also uh, the best picture in the history of the franchise. But, uh, you know, great guy and someone who's, you know, really been now for many decades and accomplished broadcaster. Right. That's 100% – that's said – Perfectly. For those of you that don't know, you know, as Brett was saying, Jim is a six-time All-Star. He was an outstanding pitcher with an ERA for 2.6 2. for his entire career. And he also recorded 2,200, around 2,200 strikeouts in his career and was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Um, so just an incredible pitcher. And like you said, you know, an incredible guy to be broadcasting with. Um, so in terms of location, where do you broadcast? You know, I know I've seen the media rooms. I've gone down. To eat you know, eat when I was working with the Orioles down media, uh, media only elevators to the third floor. Where exactly? That's where you're at, or are you in a different spot?
1: Yeah, we're on the third floor. So if you go to the third floor, uh, that's upper press level. Lower press is um, we have a studio built there for the pre and post game show for massing and then the rest of it's the press box, which involves you know other credential media writers um radio etc. Uh, for um the broadcast portion of it, you have home, visiting television, home television. Then there's an, usually an empty booth that can be occupied by national broadcast if it came to that. And then um radio one, which is where Orioles Radio has always been, and then there's radio two. Uh, which is uh, not usually occupied, and then uh, Radio 3 is visiting radio. And uh, th- that's kind of the layout. So we're Radio 1. I like to call it historic Radio 1. I mean, some incredible voices and titans of industry have uh, have, have locked down Radio 1 at Camden Yards for a long time, so it's a to be broadcasting there.
0: I'm sure. And like you said, thrill to be broadcasting. I actually, when researching you before this interview, I saw an article that the MLB released in 2021, um, and it talked about the dream that you had as a little kid and you vividly remembering, you know, walking through Oriole Park. Um, what exactly was your childhood dream? Could you describe that for me uh, and the listeners at home?
1: Yeah, so I um, love, love baseball, kind of fell in love with Baltimore baseball. My parents took me to Memorial Stadium and we were big fans. But I would say 1991, 92, it really. The light bulb really came on for me. The start of Camden Yards, I think, really had a lot to do with that. And I love playing the game. i think my parents and I, I give them credit for everything, but um, they're pretty honest, saying that I probably wouldn't be the starting second base of the Orioles one day. So I think the next best thing would be getting paid to watch the games. And I've always, you know, felt I had an instinct for broadcasting. So I would literally take. My parents like a we'll little take the phone or then i got tape recorder eventually and i would turn down the tv staff and i would call the games I would oh call my games gosh in different sports in my parents bedroom with the tv put the sound down and i would go through it and listen back see how i could get better and i started doing that at like eight years old
0: wow eight years old that's incredible i mean i was going to camp at that time that's that's incredible so you just turn the volume down call the games Revise your work, and you you'd have like a tape recorder, right, or something like that. I had a tape recorder, a dictaphone,
1: um, and uh, yeah, I remember doing a variety of sports and um, listening back to weeks Somewhere these tapes exist. God help us if they ever get out. But it, uh, <laughs> it, it uh, yeah, that was when I started broadcasting to myself. Wow. Basically. And I, I listened a lot too. Like, right. I grew up listening to John Miller and Fred Mamma and Joe Angel and Chuck Thompson, and Jim Hunter. And I, I listen to broadcasters around the country. And I should also throw in Johnny Holiday, who has been the uh, longtime voice of Maryland Terrapins. And, you know, I hope we were, from a broadcaster standpoint, uh, for, you know, going back to how everyone want to go back in sports casting. We've been very
0: fortunate in this town. Uh, some of the people who have come through, Chuck being one of them, obviously, the, the late Cravens Bagley, Um, and and there's just so many, and I think all those people had great influence and impact on my life and and my career. Of course. I mean, you had a, you've had a great career so far and a a long way to go. Um, still for you. Um, last question here, Brett. Um, so what message would you want to send to kids that were like your age, eight years old, you know, younger kids that are looking to fulfill the dream, the the dream that you had, Um, and the dream that you basically accomplished, you know you know what I'm trying to say, the, you accomplished your dream, you became a broadcaster. What do you say to kids that want to eventually do that and become what you are? Uh, I think,
1: you know, go for it, the first thing. Uh, you know, to me, I always try and tell people that you don't want to be like me like, in a sense where you're just so focused on a singular vision. And, you know, a lot of people say they want to be doctor, lawyer, whatever, movie star, and they find out, it's either really hard or they really don't like it very much. So keep your options open, explore the world. And I don't mean that in, in necessarily in a literal sense, but like actually keep your options open, uh, be interested in things be curious and then try and do it. And honestly, if you can do a traffic report, if you can talk to yourself and write a script for news and do these very basic fundamental things, keep taking the next step. That's basically what I did, but talking to addictive folks, see if you can do a talk show like you're doing. See if you can actually pull it off uh, and answer and and ask good questions and and kind of have what I like to call a gift of gab and and see if you can just talk for a while and do it in an articulate way. The other thing about going to a school like Dickinson, I, I had to write, I was a political science major and I took a lot of political science history classes and, you know, we wrote long, lengthy research papers and My job there was not too dissimilar than what I do now when I do the talk shows, shows, which is, you know, coming up with a point and then trying to back your point up and just give her material. So if you can do those things, those are all good building blocks for wanting to get into this life and work.
0: I love that. I really do. Words of wisdom, Brett. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show, man. It means a lot. Uh, Go O's. Tell.
1: Jackson, I appreciate it so much.
0: Of course, man. Nice meeting you. Talk, talk to you later. Keep in touch, man. See you around. See you, buddy. See ya. That is Brett Hollander of the Baltimore Orioles. He is an announcer. He has announced with Jim Palmer, as I said, who's a Hall of Famer. He's done a lot of great things for the city of Baltimore for his sake. And like he said, as a broadcaster, you got to start somewhere. And I mean, I'm doing what I'm doing right here. I could be a broadcaster when I'm older. It's, it's been a dream of mine. You know, I could I, I could possibly do that. Um, so we'll see where it takes me. We'll see where the show's taking me. So far, I've, I've loved the ride. You know, we're getting close to 2,100 listens all time. Um, and that's global, too. That's a lot of people around the globe. Um, so thank you so much for you all for listening to this show, this podcast, making it special. Um, and Brett Hollander uh, was an outstanding guest. I, I don't know what to say right now. He's out, outstanding guest, had a lot to say. Um, yeah. Thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you guys on the next podcast. Peace out.